Hello, and welcome to Affable Chat Off Script, the episodes of Affable Chat that aren't about movies. My name is Benjamin, and today my guest is Joey Went. Joey is my usual co-host on the movie episodes, and ironically, Joey and I haven't seen each other in person since college, or at least we hadn't until Joey came to see me, and we recorded our free solo episode and recorded a off-script episode. And this is that off-script episode. Uh, so we're not talking movies. We're talking a whole bunch of other things, including parasocial relationships on social media, Ring Fit Adventure for Nintendo Switch, stand-up comedy, a well-respected content creator that we both liked quitting YouTube uh, and kickboxing classes uh, amongst a whole range of other topics. Um, Joey and I really try to take full advantage of our time in person together. So uh, I'll just let us get right to it. Please enjoy my conversation with Joey Went. All right, Joey, here we are. You're Hello. In, you're in the studio. Yes. Isn't this nice? It Isn't is it nice, nice to just see each other across the table? Yes. You're a little bit, it's a little like we have a bunch of things in our way between us, but much less than usual. You know, <laughs> usually there's like a screen and stuff and I'm like in my own place. It is, I mean, to be honest, it is like a little jarring because I haven't done a podcast like not in my room yeah. forever or uh -huh. ever, ever. So that's one of the things that I always think is interesting about people who come and do this, because for me, it's a little awkward having a stranger in the studio doing something that I do on the regular with me. Mm -hmm. But for them, it's everything is novel. Nothing oh, yeah. about this is normal. It's all just weird. So but you just got to have things to talk about. I yes. mean, obviously, that's yes. what podcasts for. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is I love watching the people that I talk to flip the switch. And they go from being like, this is kind of weird. I'm talking to a microphone to focusing on what I brought them here to talk about. Right. And then it's easy. And then it, it, you kind of don't even notice it anymore, which uh, that's the, that's what I try to get to, at least. You know, that's yes. a, my job as a host is to help them reach that point. Right. And then make just you let feel them, comfortable. Let them take it away. So we're doing off-script episodes. We can talk about uh, you know whatever we want outside of movies. Uh, we did just do our free solo episode, yes. which was uh, very interesting. Um, but one of the things that I've been chomping at the bit to talk to you about that I wanted to save for an <laughs> off-script episode was um, a TV show I found when I was watching like my local satellite channels, like are the you know the Digital oh, like the, channels. oh, the air, yeah, like through the airwaves, yeah, the ones that are free. Is it a local channel or is it? Uh, what is it? No, it's not a local. Well, I don't know. the The content's definitely not made locally. I don't even know exactly what channel it was on because I thought the channel. Uh, well, I'll get into that. But basically, I was just after Last Man Standing ended, which is my favorite local television show to watch. <laughs> I was just switching channels, and I found this show that was people reacting to videos on YouTube. Really? Yes. Which I was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It finally made it to digital TV or, or you know, just, uh, what do you call that? I'm getting what? tripped up in my Ma words. Mainstream TV? Mainstream, sure. Mainstream television. Over the air? Like it's airwaves basically. Right. So it find like people reacting to videos has made it to the airwaves. Basically this, the format of the video was, or the, of the show was that they would have people with YouTube channels or Twitter ads or Instagram handles 
um, there'd be two of them and they'd be looking at a screen and they're looking down at the screen and there's a smaller window that shows you what they're seeing. And they would do like a challenge or something to do with it. And the episode I was watching was about watching one second of a trailer and trying to see if they knew what movie the trailer oh, was Oh, that's for. cool. And the tr- one second that they... Well, and each movie was a Disney live-action remake. That was all <laughs> of the movies that they're going to be watching trailers for, right? So There's not that many of them, so... <laughs> so immediately, I'm like, oh, God. Uh, I'm not... Uh, we've talked about this before. We t- did our Aladdin episode. I'm not the biggest fan of the Disney live-action um, remakes. And they got these people to watch one second of it and then they would spend the next like two minutes talking about that the one movie. second no not the one second about the movie because a lot of times they knew what the answer was oh man or they'd be like oh i don't know i don't know and then they tell them what the answer was and they'd be like that one second was from the upcoming movie maleficent 2 oh my gosh i love maleficent 2 did you know that this actor is in it too oh the first one was so good i can't wait to watch maleficent 2 oh, what the heck? <laughs> I realized that this show was just ads the whole time was and then after they finally got it and talked about it they would be like all right now here's the full trailer for oh Maleficent 2 and you would watch the whole trailer and then I was I couldn't believe this existed I was like this is the final form of this like this is the last bastion of like viewers who won't know that they're actually just watching a TV show that's pure advertisements. Um, and I wondered how it existed. So I did a little bit more research because uh, the, the whole show, I only watched for like the show commercial break, which I could hardly tell was different from the show itself. <laughs> and then another like section. They have of the more show. trailers during the commercial break. Yes, they do though. It's just normal commercials, you know? So I, I was watching this and they basically just did a bunch of different Disney movies. Um, but I was like, how does this even exist? Because reactions, it's a genre now. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's something that was the Reaction on. channel stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, watching people watch something mm-hmm. is a thing. Yes. For sure. And you don't have to be a YouTuber to enjoy it. And that's why it makes sense that this made it to mainstream television. Um, but then it said uh, at the bottom, like the logo for who was like, you know, have ABC or whatever. I thought it was the channel, but I guess it wasn't. But it was FBE. Yeah, Fine Bros Entertainment. Fine Bros Entertainment. I found out after Googling it. That's my, was that was like, my first question. Was like, was it a Fine Bros video? It absolutely was. And it's crazy to see their reach go from YouTube, where they eventually became so hated for the way that they treated their content and trying to block other people from reacting to things, all the way now to mainstream television, where it's been uh, you know, boiled down to be as profitable as possible. Yeah. <laughs> they're just well, they, doing ads. I wonder if they were part of the maker community like that whole um like semi-conglomerate that was trying to sell itself to disney um eventually and oh, ev- really? eventually it did happen there was a whole bunch of huge video huge video video creators like um epic rap battles uh, i think shane dawson's channel maybe i don't think smosh was part of it i think they were part of something else but there's a whole bunch of different really big creators on youtube that were all part of the same mln it was like a um, multi, multi-channel multi network, I guess, MCN. And the whole purpose of this thing was to make enough money to get Disney's attention so that they would buy them. Okay. It was called Maker Studios. Um, I think Philip DeFranco helped start it too. So it was, it was this, yeah, and then eventually it did happen. Um, and then like Disney has its little hands, you know, little tentacles all the way down into like individual creators on YouTube. It's wow. pretty crazy. Um, 
I, I disagree with your assessment of Fine Bros trying to to keep people from reacting to things. Their explicit like thing was they're going they were releasing their format for other people to use. Okay, wait. So yeah, let's let's talk about that because I, I it's been a while since I've really talked about the Fine Brothers. So they, the way they handled the announcement and everything was very bad. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, Fine Brothers are responsible for like the original Teens React, like old elders or what were they called? Seniors React, olds React, olds, <laughs> and any other sort of react thing those were that was their idea and they were the first ones to popularize this the genre yeah they did a good job because they always added extra context to things the videos were interesting beyond just the aesthetic which made it and it was also interesting seeing people's perspectives and stuff they did a whole bunch of other things they had some scripted shows too Mm -hmm. um and but wasn't there a controversy with them trying to at least i understood it trying to basically trademark the format and not let others do it uh, kind of without it was, their permission like they wanted like everyone was saying they're trying to copyright the word react which was a mischaracterization they had a certain format like the which you recognize almost immediately yes. even if you see it on tv yes um and they were like we're, we want other people to use the same kind of format for reacting to things and we'll give them all the tools they need and then we'll get a cut of that okay. or something um who knows how far that was going to go and everything. The announcement, of course, went very poorly just because they, they weren't very charismatic when they did it. Uh-huh. Um, but and there's there's kind of a reason why they're usually not in front of the camera, I guess. <laughs> and that was pretty much on display for that announcement video. But I don't know. It was an interesting idea that I think people just kind of rejected. But it wasn't as nefarious as you might Right. Okay. Well, I de- from my sources, they try to characterize them as being very nefarious, as almost just trying to, you know, claim all reactions as their idea. Like, have, have yeah, you ever yeah. reacted to something? Well, you own the Fine Brothers money. Right. Well, they just. I mean, they saw <laughs> that's it as why an they're opportunity. the Fine Brothers because they're gonna <laughs> fine you if you ever react to anything. They saw it as an opportunity to, you know, take advantage of a trend, basically. But yeah. Right, and you can see where they're coming from based on the popularity of what they created, but at the same time, you can deviate from it slightly and claim to create a whole new thing, and you get into dodgy territory with trying to trademark that or say, you owe us, you, we inspired you, give us money. Right. Um, that whole thing is always interesting to me, is like um, the way copyright works, because there's so much that art influences, or art influences so much other art, and how much do you owe your inspirations, you know? Is it, uh, you know, do you owe Michael Jordan money because you eventually came up with your own sh- basketball shoe, but only because when you were a kid, his shoes were so cool and you wore them all the time and right. you, you decided to start playing basketball because you wanted to emulate him? It's like, you know, it, I don't know. It, it, it works. It, the it's, legal side of it is really complicated. Yes, and it depends on, like, how evil you want your... Like both sides are right. Like whether one is directly copying something, or if one is like, I can make the argument that you're copying it, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times that um, when rappers are making beats, this is a problem they run into: is mm. they'll take something old that nobody listens to anymore, and then they'll speed it up or add some sort sampling. of rhythm to it. Yeah, sampling it, and then the artist or whoever owns the rights to it will say, "No, you're not allowed to," even though what you've made is very different it also wouldn't exist if you didn't have our part so um even if they're willing to give them a cut of the money the original artist is allowed to say no you can't use it yeah so uh, i don't know it's a whole big deal right now podcasting is such a um wild landscape when it comes to copywriting things because i've never had any of our stuff get flagged 
even though we've put entire songs on some episodes and then it, you get into the the you know the gray area of like what about the audio from a clip of a movie you know yeah. is that copyrighted and um, I don't know I hope I hope podcasting doesn't get locked down the way YouTube is <laughs> I I feel like it eventually will I don't know YouTube is pioneering that that space too and doing a lot of good work in that area and making it harder or making the incentive not as great for companies or individuals to copyright people copy strike people but it's still a mess as copyright has always been yeah that's why you know patent lawyers get paid so much basically definitely yeah and it's good that there are copyrights too i'm not anti-copyright because you should get you know paid for your work but um you know what where do you draw the line uh, it's very complicated <laughs> well it's interesting because like you were watching this thing, you're like, oh, what is this thing? And you were into it until you realized that it was an ad. Oh yeah, right. Uh, and it, yeah, <laughs> my main my main problem with it was once they said, now we're gonna watch the whole trailer, and right. that's for me, it's so blatantly just an advertisement, especially because they're all Disney live action remakes. It's like this is a promotional piece for Disney, and it's nothing else. None of the YouTubers that were on there, at least. I didn't recognize any of them. It seemed like they were just people who used YouTube and used Twitter and used Instagram, not necessarily influencers who are taking their time sure. to, you know, provide commentary. Right. Well, they're just actors too. Or yeah, that too. Higher on there. <laughs> Maybe all those numbers are made up. But I mean, it's like you have to be so cynical with media today, don't you? Like all everything is so much layered in these ideas of is this even real? Like uh, am I watching just some people react to clips from a trailer or is this some sort of thing that's trying to sell me something? Yes. You know, like it's harder and harder to find where that line is and to like, I guess, authentically enjoy anything. Because yes. Because you're yes. like constantly questioning everything you're watching well, about whether whether they're like um, being truthful or whether they're, they really mean what they're saying. Well, we had somebody yesterday um, who asked us about the podcast because the two of us are together in person. Of course, people are going to talk to us about the podcast we made together. And she asked us, why are you guys doing that? You know, it's <laughs> just <laughs> such a great question. And we were like, because we want to. It's yeah. fun. But Again, whenever you take in media, it's like, what is their angle? What are they getting at yeah. here? Are these guys really watching movies and talking about them because they want them? Or do they want my money? <laughs> right. She's All she's doing is waiting for the, the day that we turn up on Facebook and say, hey, we're, you know, we quit our jobs and now we're doing podcasting <laughs> yeah. for support us on, on OnlyFans. Right. Give us your money. <laughs> We've only ever really been doing this for the cash. That's not what know? she meant. That's a, <laughs> But yes, that's kind of what but that's implication. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's it, it's hard. But I, okay, the reason why I bring this up about authentically enjoying things mm -hmm. is because I actually recently have tried to make the shift toward more authentically enjoying things, despite myself. Like trying to fight cynicism in order to get a better experience with something. Mm -hmm. And this has like been my experience for a long time, especially watching stuff on YouTube. I'll watch something that will be really compelling and really interesting. And then I will watch something else and then forget about that thing. You know, mm -hmm. I, never, I never let it like sink into the point where it changes my actions. Very, very rarely. I watched this video by Tom Scott, who did a, uh, he did it at the um, Royal Institution. And it was basically about parasocial relationships um, online and how like the very nature of the talk that he was 
giving was kind of skewed because he's like a celebrity and only reason they invited him is because they would bring a certain amount of clout and because he would uh, get enough views on YouTube because he's like well known on YouTube um, and like all of that is true and it was very very interesting and it made me really start questioning why I was watching YouTube in the first place and what I was getting out of it there's lots of people I watch that play video games and he's like if you watch people like let's plays and stuff you're not watching it for the game you're watching it because you like the person like make no mistake and ever since then i've had that kind of switch in my brain about what i'm actually feeding into and i was i i could have just said okay no i like this is you know this is interesting but you know whatever like of course i should watch less youtube that's gonna be more healthy for me but and i was thinking about why don't i ever let things convince me of anything you know like when I finished watching that video, I was like, I don't want to watch YouTube. I don't want to watch another video. That's how I knew it was powerful. It was like, I didn't, it didn't want, make me want to click on something else. Maybe want to sit back and like rethink my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really like about South Park is how anyone on that show can be convinced of something just by talking to them. You know, there's the thing that I feel like is the most unrealistic about it. All the crazy shit that happens in that show. The, the thing that's the most unrealistic is some a kid will say something to a crowd of people and that crowd of people will be convinced that he's right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. That never really happens. And it's so frustrating, especially following the news and stuff, where, like, for, for impeachment, we'll just uh, use that as an example. There were Republicans who said, yeah, everything the Democrats said is true, but it's it doesn't matter. You know, like, the idea that you can lay out an argument perfectly or imperfectly or at all and people will say yeah i agree with you but also i'm not going to change my mind was so so gross to me yeah that's that frustrating. I'm, I'm trying to fight that i guess so in part of the reason why i kind of changed my, my perspective was because of watching this video and i decided that at the beginning of the year i was going to stop watching youtube as much so i cut it out of my life it hasn't been as difficult as I first expected, partially because I've just been watching other things instead. There's a lot out there. There's too much. But slowly, it's like I'm chipping away at those things, and I'm finding less and less that's interesting to me, and I'm finding other outlets to be creative. Because I've always believed that if you have to do something different, you have to cut something else out, right? You only have so much time in your day. So if you want to do something new, you have to stop doing something you're currently doing. Mm-hmm. That time just doesn't appear out of nowhere. Um, so you need that. So there's been a couple different things that have affected me in a way that's like authentic, I guess. One that, that I have let in, I would say, is the best way to say it. One of them was that movie 1917, um, that war movie. Yeah. That was so good. It was it was incredible. It was an amazing visual experience. And like, there's not I don't know. It's not a lot to go into uh, like thematically or anything. There's tons of stuff you could talk about with World War One, for example. But there was this beautiful shot where uh, he's running across the field, and there's all these extras in the background, and the camera's like right there focused on him. And it, the movie never cuts. It's a simulated one one shot. So uh, a lot it, like Birdman. Yes. So you're you're camera guy is almost part of the action and everything and he's constantly moving with him and he's running across the field and there's all these people in the background and there's explosions and stuff it was amazing and I let myself like feel that and like be moved to tears in the theater just because I was like no like I could just sit here and be like oh I don't want to cry like what am I the kind of person who cries at a movie but I was like no like what if I am the kind of person that cries in a movie? What if I want to be the kind of person that's able to see something awesome and then be moved toward it? You know? Oh, yeah. It's like, 
it's so much harder, I think, to live your life when you're constantly cynical of everything. When you're constantly like, oh, nothing I, nothing I see or watch or read will ever change my perspective because it's too, like, I, I can't trust it. You know, I don't know if it's real. I don't know if that, that show I'm watching is just an ad or not. But if you're feeling, if it moves you to a certain emotion and that emotion invokes some sort of positive change in you, I have I feel like the argument is clear. Like, make that change, you know, whether it came from somewhere authentically or not, it's really your reaction to it. That's the best. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I, I've, I don't know if you're, um, as cynical as you say you are though, because I feel like it would be difficult to consume the amount of media that you consume without letting it influence who you are. Uh, I constantly find myself, uh, like I'm on the other end where I'm like, did I really just let a YouTube video convince me to change the way I think about this? You know, where I'm worried that if I I'm too wishy-washy and I'm just an imprint of the last thing that I saw. Sure. You know, um, but I but I'm also, uh, um, you know, I also am with you on that idea of letting something impact you, like consciously deciding I'm going to let this be a part of me. Like when I saw eighth grade, yeah. I remember at it, it was it's an emotional movie. It's sad, um, you know, and it doesn't actually have like necessarily the happiest ending per se, but after the um, I saw the movie, I came out feeling a little bit down. I was a little bit sad. And instead of looking at my phone or trying to move on, um, I just took a walk and stayed with those thoughts. You yeah. Know? And I don't know if, you know, looking back on the challenges of being a young kid, of being a middle schooler, struggling with basically every aspect of existence, if that helps me in any way moving forward if there's anything i really have to like gain in a functional way but at the same time it, i was feel i was re- happy to be able to feel those emotions it was not something that i feel like i could just bring out of myself at command right i'd found this new state of mind and i decided to exist within it for a little while right i feel like we're so numb to a lot of these things and it's just like what you're saying like i you feel so i feel like the natural push is to say no like i what they're saying is too radical, right? What I'm hearing or reading or whatever is is not, like, can't be right. And I will find some justification for it later or I'll justify it now, you know? And I think it's because you're worried about that wishy-washy feeling of, like, like who even am I if I have to start questioning these fundamental things about me or or even not so fundamental things, right? It, it's a cascade effect of if I if this thing that I thought was right is not right, then what else do I not think? Oh, right? yeah. You know, yeah. <sighs> but so I, that's that's like my my appeal here is to say, like, let those things change your mind uh, it, even when you come to something that is powerful, right? Like, anyway, the there was one thing in particular that I really wanted to bring up, which was um, Ring Fit Adventure, which is a game on the Nintendo Switch, which I have. We've been playing a lot of Switch th- over this weekend, and I've been very it's been very hard not to talk about it. <laughs> um, I don't. Have you, do you know anything about this? Nothing. The best way to describe I've seen it described is a spiritual successor to Wii Fit. Okay. So it, basically what it is, is it's a video game um, that is a turn-based RPG th- where the spells and attacks are exercises. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so you have a leg, a strap that you put in your leg, which you put one of the Joy-Cons in, and you have a like a, a ring, which I've never seen as a piece of exercise equipment, but it's, it's such a smart idea 
that you put one of the other Joy-Cons on, on. And it, the Joy-Cons have really good vibration like stuff so they can make the whole vib- the, the ring vibrate or your leg vibrate to indicate that you're doing something right or wrong. And the ring is like a flexible plastic ring that you can press in and like that will activate it. And you can also pull apart. And it's smart, I think, because when you use it, you're using it against your own muscles. So when you press it against yourself, right, you're exercising against the other muscles in your own arms. Okay. Same thing for your thighs or whatever, right? Uh, like the, the, the way the game works is you go through this like little adventure. It's like a bunch of little stops and it's like you're on railroads. So you're like jogging in place or like bouncing in place and you go to encounters with monsters. The monsters have different colors, which correspond to different types of exercises. So yellow ones uh, you fight with uh, like stomach um uh exercises like abs yeah they do more damage with that okay and so you yeah you do there's a bunch of different exercises you can pick from all of them have different attacks some of them have different ranges there's a lot of strategy in which one you pick um and it all all of that as a distraction from what you're actually doing which is actual exercise so there's like a plank thing which always kills me like i cannot like they make you do 21 planks where you sit you sit on the floor and you have to like raise your glutes up and down um, 21 yeah. times and it like and it will it will encourage you like makes this noise and it goes <laughs> when it, and then there's like a little symbol in the thing and it hits the the enemy and his like, health goes down and he goes <laughs> all of the enemies it's such a cute game all the enemies are a combination of exercise equipment and animals so there's like a, a mata ray which is like a manta ray that's also a yoga mat nice there's a uh, a bell dog which is like a bulldog but or or a uh, and a kettlebell combined together <laughs> there's all sorts of little ones uh, i think there's like a, there's like a helmet i think it's called like a nautilus or something it looks like a little helmet with like a like a hermit crab or something inside of him and he like shoots water at you there's one is like a protein shaker one is an exercise ball uh it's, that's it's like a pet, like a puffer fish too yeah it's really funny and like when I first got it, I was, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, this sounds so goofy. And I was like, I really want to try this because I really like um, unusual like uh, control schemes. I thought I always thought the Wii and all that stuff was really interesting. So like, oh, I got to try this out and see how it is. And as soon as I got it I, and I played through one world and I was sweaty and tired, I was like, oh, I understand what this is now. And ever since I, I've done it, I've been playing it like every other day when I don't run as exercise. And I've been thoroughly enjoying myself. And part of that has been just deciding that I want this to positively influence my life, right? I could have just been like, oh, this is too weird and too goofy. I don't want to do hip shakes alone in my apartment. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. It makes me look too weird. But then I was like, why? Like, no one's here to see me. And I like I'm having fun doing this and it's definitely making me more fit. It makes, I feel stronger. I feel better. Uh, and like, why not? You know, like no matter how, even if it doesn't work perfectly. Right. And even if it is a little like silly, why shouldn't I let this be something that I enjoy? Uh, because it's certainly making me feel better about myself. Oh, you know, I'm totally on board. Everything you're saying, uh, it's, it's part of just not taking yourself too seriously exactly. or being too cool for, for certain things. Um, I mean, one of the ways I always return to this idea is like singing and dancing with your friends. It's something that it's like very, it's, it's almost like a test that happens anytime like singing and dancing breaks out amongst people. It's like, am I going to be the one who joins in or am I going to be like, look how stupid these people are being? Yes. And I generally prefer to side with joining them or, or 
being the one who instigates, like dancing or singing, because it does sound kind of cringy and awkward, especially because I'm not that good of a singer or dancer, but I, I enjoy being in that moment, you know, especially when it's with people that you care about. It's almost like a way to express your friendship, you know? It's like, look at us. We're both dancing here, you yeah, know, to this song that we mutually enjoy. It's, yeah, I, 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 I like that attitude. No, I think that's a really good example. Uh, I, I, there was a TED Talk in um, Columbia a few years ago that I went to, and one of the th- one of the talks was like uh, about improv and how there's lessons from improv that can help you in real life. And yes. one of them was like, exa- like copy what your partner is doing and then exaggerate. And what the idea was is that you make your partner feel less silly. Like if they're doing some sort of dance move, you do the same thing and then you exaggerate it so that you're doing it even more than what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then they, in turn, will do the same and exaggerate even further. And suddenly you're doing something very strange. Yes. But... By doing it with them, you are encouraging and affirming them, right? And um, moving everything into like where you want to be, which is why two people are dancing together. So it's this kind of feedback loop in a way, right? Of someone putting aside the idea that something that they're too cool for something or that something is too dumb or too silly and embracing that with someone else, it lends itself to so much a better experience. Yeah. Have you ever done improv? No. I have. Yeah? Yes. I went to acting camp one summer where we did... Actually, acting camp isn't right. It was theater camp. So it was, you know, specifically to be performed on a stage. And we did a bunch of, like, basically just improv games. And it was so much fun that I took those games back and introduced them to my friend group. And I was friends with a bunch of guys that I consider to be really cool uh, in middle school and high school. Guys who weren't too cool for school like that. And we started playing improv games whenever we were together. And, like, you know, improv comes with its own whole slew of assumptions about the people that do them and stuff but i think people who do improv are great because they're generally that exactly that type of person yeah will take what you're bringing and exaggerate it and and join in with it um there's been some like i don't know it's especially because when you're doing improv especially you become vulnerable because you have to just say whatever you're thinking exactly and you might say something stupid or embarrassing but that but then it's not on you anymore it's on the rest of them to to do something (laughs) with it yeah, although we had to make a rule that you can't just pull out a gun and shoot everybody because we had... <laughs> way too often. Yes, well, that was always the Michael Scarn out because Michael Scarn had already been a thing at that point. Do you know, um, in The Office, Michael Scott yeah. was uh, he was in an improv troupe. That was one of his like outside-of-work activities that he did, and he would always ruin it. Everyone in improv hated him because... He's he did improv exactly the wrong way. He would be like, "What's the most exciting thing that can happen? Is that somebody has a gun?" So he would always, no matter what the situation was, he would always be Michael Scarn, which was like his, like uh, you know, secret agent, like James Bond oh, character, okay, okay. essentially. And he would pull out a gun and interrogate and shoot everybody, and then he would consider it to be an amazing scene. And if it what didn't have that in it, he would not like the scene. That's amazing. You know? So. so <laughs> Unfortunately, that kind of played itself out within our own private, whether they were Michael Scarn or not, it would just turn to violence. And then we're like, okay, guys, you can't just kill everyone else in the scene. You got to think of something. Oh, that's amazing. It's been too long. I would love to play some improv games. Uh, I've never again. done it. I've always thought it was so interesting. Yeah, it's there's a, a bunch of them. It's, it's like, I've heard it described as it's like playing 
a sport, like it's playing basketball or something. Like there's certain rules uh-huh. to how everything should function. So there's not so much unexpected stuff. It's not like anything could happen, right? Right. But at the same time, you never know what's, go- what's going to happen. There's certain rules of play that guide like the amount of outcomes that that could come to, but to get there and everything is a it's uh you know it's a little shaky about what's what's going to happen. So yeah. that's I, I don't know. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, I like it. it, it I don't know improv and like um, stand up comedy. Those are like two of the ones where it's like. I don't do them, but I know that people do, you know, and that people will just, <laughs> people do them pr- like who aren't good at them necessarily, but they're putting so themselves right. out there to do it. Um, I don't know. I need to check that out. The comedy scene here in Columbia is not amazing. Well, that means you have a wide opening, doesn't it? I guess so. I, um, I don't know if I want to do comedy though. Like, um, I enjoy this, what we're doing here sitting. And sometimes I like to try to be funny, but there's like a whole nother level of effort you have to put in to be that kind of funny, to be yes. able to convince a crowd that you're hilarious. I don't know how it works. It's such a bizarre thing yeah. that like you stand in front of, like, I don't know if, like, when do when did stand-up comedy start? Like, I should, based on how much I've listened to comedians on podcasts talk about comedy, I should know, but uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's like... Uh, but like, I try, try to think about imagining, like, I try to think about what it would be like to talk to someone in the past about what improv like, or what uh, stand-up comedy is. It's like, okay, a guy stands in front of a big crowd and tells jokes. Like, it's like, I don't understand. I don't know if people would understand what the appeal to that would be. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, whereas, I mean, I've watched tons and tons of specials on Netflix and they're always a lot of them do deliver really well. And it's just like a one man show, but it's just his voice. He's not even doing like crazy body movements or like juggling or anything. You know, it's just that he's talking. (laughs) It's comedy, but he's not even doing juggling. (laughs) (laughs) There's no unicycles. There's no flying monkeys. Right. Right. Why did I even show up to this? Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, It's one of those things where it almost seems like a, um, like an old art form that still survives today, especially when you see YouTubers who are also stand-up comedians. Just because they're funny on YouTube doesn't mean that they're actually good at comedy. And there's a difference between the ones who have their own shows where it's like, come see me from YouTube, talk about stuff that I talk about on my YouTube channel, probably play videos or maybe play songs that I've made. And I'm doing this for my fans versus comedians who try to distance themselves from that part of their life and say, no, this is my comedy. This is me being a stand-up. Like, I'm going to try to actually just be funny, and you don't have to even know me beforehand. I'm just going to try to convince you. That right, I've right. You're got... just a comedian, and you're delivering to a certain amount. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's crazy because a lot of the places where this exists, there's uh, like a whole uh, hierarchy. You show up to a show, you've got the local guy who probably is not that good. Actually, it was hilarious. Uh, at the Looney Bin in Oklahoma City, I went to go uh, see... The Looney Bin? Yes. <laughs> it's actually in the... It, I think they are playing off of like the Looney Tunes uh, thing because... Uh, or like the aesthetic of mm-hmm. the Looney Tunes because their logo was like a, a barrel that had like cartoon eyes on it. It was the Looney Bin. And... <laughs> And when we showed up, you had to be there. You had like a two drink minimum classic comedy club. Thing. Sure. And w- we got our seats before the show even started. And they were showing this 
video montage on a projector on the stage before anybody even got up there and it was just like the lowest tier of youtube viral clips oh my it god it was like this it was there's this old grandma who was um saying cuss words like the joke was that she's, she's a grandma person but she's also cussing <laughs> or it would be like cats all like following a tennis ball back and forth and they're all turning their heads back and forth or like a baby who like falls down you know just like the lowest tier of comedy or like a, a dog bites somebody's wait, butt. Wait, wait, was this a um was this a TV show? It, or, it was, was it like a, was that something put on for the by the, like the management like that they assembled it was, themselves. It, I think they assembled it themselves. Okay. It was just a loop of viral, not, not even viral, but just, you know, content you would see on probably YouTube America's funniest home videos. Yes, a lot of home vi- videos, a lot of, you know, people, the joke is that the guy got hit in the head with a chair. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so that was the first tier of comedy inside of this comedy club. And um, I hated it. <laughs> I was like, this is so bad. Especially because it played multiple times. Did you ever, do you ever know what Chive TV is? Yes. I, our, yes, Chive. Yeah. The, yeah keep the, calm and Chive on. Yeah. Yeah, they have it on like a uh, yeah, something like that. It's they have it on just like, that. like sports bars and stuff. They had some, yeah, some bars here in Columbia when I was a student. I, I went, yeah, Jenny and I would always joke about it because we would just like, oh, that's our favorite channel. <laughs> we, you know, sometimes you get captivated by it because it's just a bunch of click, click, like quick clips over yes. and over again. And then I went to uh, like lunch with a bunch of like older dudes, like probably like 40s, maybe 50s. And the that we went to lunch and we saw that same channel and we're like, oh, here it is again. And they could not keep their eyes off of it. They were like <laughs> laughing so much, like, oh my god, I can't believe this is it. Like, and they're like, oh my god, like I hit in the head by a chair. I can't believe it. <laughs> they were they were loving it. <laughs> yeah, it, that's definitely the 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 point of having it on at this comedy club is to establish this baseline funniness. I see. Um, and it, it's cra- it's interesting because I'll, I'll continue with that, but I do want to take a side track here and talk about chive okay because i had never been a chive guy i only knew about chive through the keep calm and chive on posts that i saw in t-shirts and i think i even saw them selling them at walmart that might not be true but i definitely saw you know quote unquote normies wearing chive stuff definitely seen it on bumper stickers as well okay you know um and i always thought it was so interesting because when i at this time, I considered myself to be like more of a redditor. You know, that was the online community I belonged to, <laughs> and people get kind of elitist about their online community. Oh yeah, you especially know? Reddit. Reddit yes. thinks they're the best. Yeah. So there's like, well, because <laughs> even though they steal all their stuff from everyone else, right? Yeah. And then say, why are you guys steal? Why is Instagram stealing stuff from us? It's like <laughs> nobody, nobody is better than anybody. Everybody sucks. Yeah. Um, but. Um, because the one I loved to dunk on was Nine Gag. That was the easiest one because Nine Gag was just so so easy to to make fun of. But Chive was another one that was similarly. Um, yeah, I had no experience though with Chive. I just knew it was another similar to Nine Gag meme platform. So sure. I I was I was like Reddit's better. And then I saw Chive TV and. I kept seeing people who were like, keep calm and chive on. I was like, this is what you guys are. This has got compelled you to wear a t-shirt. Is this like just stream of like low brow content? Yeah. Look, this person's on a sled and they crash into a tree. (laughs) Comedy. You know, <laughs> I know. I always feel so horrible. Like I, I actually like the ones that are like, people are amazing clips. Like those ones are cool because mm-hmm. they shows like a really quick, quick clip. It's hard to say that. Really quick, <laughs> quick clip. Quick clip. Yes. Quick clip. 
quick clip. Quick, quick clip. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> They'll show that uh, of somebody like doing some sort of really cool trick with a snowboard or with a bicycle or whatever, right? Yeah. And like, yeah, I kind of like those. Like, those are kind of interesting. The ones where the people just get hurt, it's like, like I don't. There's no like, there's no litmus test for this. You know, there's not somebody in. Uh, like in the fact checking section of chive being like i wonder if that person died from that you know i wonder what their injuries are and right. like looking it up like i know they did that for america's funniest home videos they would always like screen their clips and they would never put anything out there where someone was seriously injured uh whereas i don't think chive has that kind of standard <laughs> right sure there's too so much it's content like, it's just like oh my gosh like i can't it's horrible like watching these people like i like I guess it's funny from my perspective because it's put to funny music and the, like the <laughs> Benny Hill theme is playing in the background and right, all these guys right. are laughing, but like, it's just horrible watching these people get hurt like this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so anyways, like I said, they're all trash. Red is not better necessarily, but um, that is how I felt about Chive. Anyways, getting back to the comedy club, yes. they had these videos on and then they had the, the tier one guy, the, uh, you know, the local guy who's new. Is he like the MC or is he? No, this guy was just a local comic. Like the guy who maybe had a pretty good open mic night recently. And right, now right. this is his like, now he's actually in a real show, but he was terrible. How long was the set? Uh, I want to say, I mean, I wasn't timing it or anything, but probably like less than minutes. 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes, five minutes <laughs> An hour. maybe. And he, so he's barely up there. He's just the beginning. But it, most of his jokes were like self, very self-deprecating and like honestly kind of depressing. Like the joke is that I suck. I'm an idiot. Who the joke know how is to I don't know how to tell any jokes. Yes. And like the joke is I'm a loser basically. And <laughs> he was kind of funny. Not, I mean, he was like obviously an amateur comedian. And then they had like the local, um, like headliner guy. So he was obviously had better stage presence, but again, still not on a level where his jokes, a lot of his jokes were about living in Oklahoma and he was playing to the, his home crowd here. Um, Anybody here from Oklahoma? Right. Yeah. Places. <laughs> How about the Sooners? Am I right? Or are you more of a Cowboys person? <laughs> <laughs> Go pokes. Right. So then they moved on to an out of town guy. Right. But this guy was like kind of out of town unknown, but still was more uh, talented, at just like seemingly, than the pre his predecessors in this show. He was uh, his jokes were very generic as far as like who could understand them, and um, he was a little bit better. And then they brought on the headliner, and I don't even remember the name of the headliner because I didn't know him before. But he was the name on the ticket when you purchased a seat for the show, and this guy was a real pro. This guy got us howling, and I'm sure it's a product of this buildup right yeah, yeah. You, you you start with something as mundane as you know cat videos on chive and then you build up to this guy to finally we're all warmed up we are ready to belt out some laughs and he got us he made us laugh so like so hard and i um, I, I'm just impressed by that whole setup, that whole ecosystem of people who exist. It's like, oh, I'm not that funny. I, I help set up the show. Like, that's, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. the beginning. Well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think a, a lot of you have to be really like self-aware to be a comic, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in any industry, being humble is part of that, right? So I feel like. For I feel like of course you're gonna have problems. Like, oh, I'm better than this guy. I should be in front of him, you know. But. I, I also feel like there's a lot of situations where it's just fine. And everyone kind of is like, okay, like, I guess that's where we are at right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And like, I guess what your kind of goal is to upstage the person that comes after you at least a little bit. Yes. Right? Oh, sure. Definitely. You know, so it kind of, it's a bit of a challenge there too. 
it's it, I don't know. It's just a very interesting thing. And what I'm talking about, it's not that every comedy club is like this, you know, unless it's one of those ones like the, uh, you know, in L.A. where it's just all freaking amazing comedians going one after the other. But um, I don't know. It's, it's just um, it, it, it lends itself to being better in a place where there's more of those people so that you see the local the first guy. He's actually good. You know, he would be the traveling guy in Oklahoma City. Right, right. Like, the whole time I was in Oklahoma City, I, I got on the email list for the Looney Bin, and they never had anybody that I thought was good. And I'm not trying to trash the Looney Bin. Like, I hope that they continue to Well, how many times did you things. go? I only went once, because I went and saw somebody who was a non-headliner. I was like, I'll go next time they have someone good. And at least on the emails that I read, I never saw anybody that I knew. Wow. Even when Chris D'Elia came to Oklahoma City, he did it at, like, a college. He, he didn't, didn't go, go to the, the Looney Bin. He didn't go to the Looney Bin. Why would you? I know, right? I, I wish that they had a better comedy scene. Um, and I mean, getting back to Columbia, I've been to um, a comedy show here, technically, at Columbia Craft. Some comedians showed up. And um, again, it was the same thing. Some local people started off and got a lot of co- like uh, charity laughs and claps, <laughs> right? And then a pro showed up and got everybody going. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I respect that. I respect that kind of skill um, from a pro. Uh, that those people are the ones who are really funny, you know. They're the real comedians, <laughs> right? No so. one else is allowed to be funny. It's but it, like but you, you can be, ticket you can whatever. have funny your moments, funny and then you can be somebody who can like turn it on and be like, okay, get ready to laugh because I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna force you to laugh <laughs> with my hilarious humor. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's really is pretty bizarre. It's a, it's a weird thing to get into. Well, it's definitely something you have to get good at. You have to practice. Yeah, it comes from practice and the willingness to put yourself out there and be vulnerable like that. Yeah, and willingness to just to totally get annihilated by a crowd because yes. every comedian has their bombing stories. Where oh, they yeah. like just did terrible. But that's like a rite of passage in a way too, right? Like once you've done that, then you're like, okay, now I've, I'm not as afraid to fail because I've already failed once and it, you know, I survived. So mm-hmm. maybe I can do it again. It'll be better next time. Right. You know, it's big. You learn so much more when you fail than when you succeed so there's there's a lot to be said about doing something poorly i guess (laughs) sure yeah and you're right it is kind of right or or at least putting yourself out there and then it going poorly right yeah giving your best effort and it's still not going well all right well we got a kind of a comedy tangent there we did also bring some uh some topics yeah so i'm wondering what else you wanted to talk about i got so much to talk about all right i got i got a great one for you okay oh yeah i'm really setting this up (laughs) (laughs) so a couple of weeks ago, I saved a bird that was trapped in my apartment. Mm. It wasn't actually in my apartment. It was right outside. It's in this little area that's like uh, in the walkway up into my uh, my staircase. Like I don't actually, yeah, I don't actually live like upstairs, but there's a staircase right before, in front of my door. Let me see if I can find that picture to, so you can see it. It's like this little area that has like a window above it and there's like a staircase right under it and it's like totally open to the elements okay. so any any sort of animal can fly in there anyway i never noticed that there was a window up there but one day i was walking in and i heard some noise upstairs and i'm very reclusive and and um like what, what's the word not introspective um introverted introvert that's the one thank you you are introspective too though that's you that's not, <laughs> what I, that's not the quality i had at this moment the quality i had at this moment was i want to get out of here because i don't want to talk to my neighbors so i like hurried in because uh, i heard some noise and then it was behind me, and I was like, what is that? I turned around, and there's a bird that keeps ramming himself into the window up there. And I'm like, this dumb bird only has to fly down like two more feet, and he'll be free. Otherwise, he's going to be stuck up there. And I'm like, oh, boy. Like, today, 
I'm saving this bird. That's my goal. Nice. So I go inside, put my stuff down, and I come back out, and I'm like, how do I get this bird out of here? So I have a bunch of rubber bands that I use to wrap up my keys when I go running so they don't jingle my pocket. Mm. And I had, I for whatever reason, I bought a pack of them, which turned out to be about 100,000, and they're just... <laughs> everywhere in my life now like yeah. you go to where i park normally at work and there's rubber bands out there <laughs> where i go running there's rubber bands on the floor joey must have been here <laughs> there's rubber bands outside of my apartment there's just rubber bands everywhere so i i pull out a few and i start trying to shoot the window near the bird like and i was like okay this is my strategy right i'll try to scare him a little bit and he'll fly out and then uh, somewhere else instead of keeping in the window but and i was like if i even if i hit him which i wasn't trying to it won't hurt because it's just a rubber band like right. i'll just startle him a little bit so i was aiming at it i kept hitting it and he didn't understand what was happening i think he was already so terrified at this moment and confused that there was something in his way that he didn't understand that any sort of extra stimulus wasn't going to make it any more clear what was happening so he was still just flying this yeah, whole time like, never landing. no he was there was a little ledge there so he was landing and then like dunk, okay dunk, you know and then like sitting there and like trying to figure out what's going on and hop back and forth. And he would fly back and hit the window again over and over. Like he was never going to learn what was happening. Mm. I tried to go from the other side and shoot at the window with the rubber bands. But then there's like a little roof there and I knew the rubber bands were going to end up up there. Yeah. And there were some people walking by and I knew that they were going to be like, why is this kid <laughs> shooting rubber bands onto the roof? Like what is this weird littering that he's doing? <laughs> it's like, okay, I need to do something else. So I went, I was like, I need a new strategy. So I, I uh, decided I was going to go get my mail. And while I, was, I did that, I would think about it. And on my way back, I ended up slipping in a bunch of mud. So now I was like really wet. Um, but I found a big stick. I was like, okay, this will work. So I got up to the stairs. And it, from the stairs, I could actually reach the bird with the stick. And I could like poke him with the stick. So I started trying to move him around, trying to get him to, to fly away. But he, all I did was like ruffle his feathers. And he just wouldn't turn around and look at me at all. And he was just continuing to hit the freaking window. I'm like, okay, I need to get this bird to fly down somehow. So I go inside I, and like hurriedly using some of the paper I got from my... Uh, Dragons? My, no, from my... Well, yeah, I could have used that. But I was from my mail because I had a bunch of ads. Oh, it's okay. like, I'll fold myself a little box and tape it to the end of the stick and then I'll be able to get the bird that way. Like, Because at first I was like, I'll put a blanket over him. But then I was like, I don't think that's going to work. I think he's just going to dodge it and then fly up. So I, I, while I'm doing that, oh, wait, I think, oh, wait, I have a better idea. There's an umbrella I have in the corner there. Like, I can use that as a stick. It's a little bit longer. It's a little straighter. And I was like, I'll use a baseball hat. And I grabbed like a baseball hat that I got from a running competition. And I duct taped it to the end of the umbrella. And and I uh, put the, um, the hat on the bird. <laughs> and I tried to get him to go. And he like, he... He wouldn't struggle that much. Like I can move him around a little bit side to side and I was trying to pull him off, but he would just jump right back onto the ledge. And a couple times, like the hat fell off. I had to go back inside and retape it. But eventually I scooped up that bird and I pulled him off and he flew away and he was gone. Wow. And I was like, and never come back, you stupid bird. But uh, while I was putting that hat on top of the umbrella, I was thinking, I was like, there was some reason why I didn't want to touch the tip of this umbrella, but why was it that I couldn't touch the tip of this umbrella? And then I was thinking back and I was like, oh, wait, I remember. Do you remember that story I told when I first moved to uh, Pennsylvania and we hit a bird yes. with our car? The, so <laughs> the story, if you, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's our moving for work episode, yeah, yeah. is basically that I was driving a van and a bird flew in front of me and hit the front of the car. And then we stopped for lunch and then realized that the bird had gotten lodged into the front of the car. And I used that umbrella, <laughs> that same umbrella, to wedge the bird out 
and leave it on the side of the road in, in somewhere in Virginia. So the real hero of this story is this umbrella that finally got redeemed. It, <laughs> it, it, it speared a bird and got it out of my car, and now it saved a bird's life. So Wow. A true redemption arc. Yes. Wow. The story of this umbrella, my goodness. <laughs> that's character development right there. It sure is. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm... Um, yeah, I've had to do this, the same kind of thing with birds in our, our garage growing up. But um, generally for them, we just open the garage door and yeah, they'll figure it out. I was yeah. thinking um, another strategy could be to get get um, something that looks like a predator to see if you could spook it out. Yeah, like I've definitely like- seen um, back in my apartment complex I lived in in Oklahoma, we had a parking garage and near the top of the parking garage, there was a bunch of places a bird could definitely perch and they put a big old fake owl up there oh really a huge one like it looked it honestly scared me the first time i saw it. i was like ah what is that? <laughs> you know? and that's exactly was how it the birds stuffed feel or too. was it like it's stuffed yeah like i've seen the, the ones that are just like a hard owl as well but this one looked like it was, was like a real wings. owl that has been stuffed like taxidermy no i don't think so um it just was it had a big wide wings like it was laid out across some of the uh I don't know, the beams up there so yeah. that it, it almost looked like it was mid-flight. And uh, you kept the birds out, I guess. I guess that would work. I mean, I I was like, I don't know what I can do to stimulate this bird. Like, I was standing within probably four feet of it. I could easily reach it with this stick. So, like, obviously the bird's going to be freaked out if I'm there. And like, <laughs> so, like, but it wasn't figuring this out. And right. I knew it wasn't going to figure it out. We actually had a couple of cardinals in my house in North Carolina that would run into windows all the time. Yeah, my one would attack my dad's car, and we named him Red uh, because they're they're red. Cardinals are the state bird of North Carolina, in case you didn't know. Oh wow! And so they were very annoying and dumb. A very good uh, like representation of North Carolina. Wow! Shade alert. Dude. Not not true. <laughs> that was an easy low hanging fruit. <laughs> anyway, we had this window like in our like our sunroom, like a room that had a bunch of windows. And the bird would sit on the on the uh, the tree and attack the window over and over again, trying to assert its dominance over its reflection. So we set we put a bunch of stuffed animals up there. We pasted little like uh, outlines of birds on the window, like they do at the zoo. Yeah, and it didn't work. He would still attack it. Like I think he would figure out eventually that that thing in the window wasn't gonna move, and it was like, but that thing that it's that's attacking me, it keeps flying right at me. That's gonna move. That's I, real. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. My dad actually had a little stuffed cardinal that he kept in his car and kept it like in the window to try to keep him from hitting the car. Uh, but I don't think it worked. They're just too dumb. They're uh, little bird brains. Exactly. That's where the saying bird brains comes from. I was about to say that. Like, <laughs> just idiots. As we lose like all our bird listeners right now, they're like, I'm never listening to this podcast again. Anti-bird. <laughs> um, so switching gears again. Recently, one of my favorite creators on YouTube retired. Which one? Counter Arguments. Oh, dude, I used to watch Counter Arguments. Really? Yes. Yeah, he quit recently. He said, well, he's taking a um, undefined break. Right. And I watched his farewell video. It's about 20 minutes long. And he talked about how this actually might just be the the end for him. And it's interesting to see like, his journey because he originally tried to get big on YouTube, or rather just try to be successful on YouTube. I hate when people say, I'm trying to get big. It's like, what does that I'm mean? I'm trying to get big, boys. Yeah, it's like, are you going to the gym on YouTube? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Anyways. I'm trying to get swole on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he talked about how he had actually created a channel where he was trying to play the game, essentially, and 
become successful and it didn't work out. So he shut that down, but he still wanted to make videos. So he created counter arguments and it was just whatever he was passionate about. He started making videos about and it actually kind of blew up. Uh, if you look at some of his earlier videos, he has like multiple like hundreds of thousand view videos and even his video on why uh, Jack from the Titanic didn't have to die has like almost 4 million views. So he was able to get some videos that really popped off on YouTube, but he's been doing this over the last few years. And he said that he treated counter arguments like a job and sunk a lot of time into it. And he had a discord, you know, Patreon, he did live streams or he talked to his uh, people who followed him and stuff. And he really tried to make this thing successful. And whenever I, my interactions with him was just watching his videos whenever they came out, I subscribed to him. I didn't ring the notification bell. So I only saw them when YouTube <laughs> recommended them to me. But part of the reason why I, I like counter arguments was because his videos were always recommended recommended to me. And just so if you haven't heard of our counter arguments, basically, he has this aesthetic where he puts uh, sticky notes and pieces of paper on a cork board. It's like a video essay, but it's like a persuasive essay. Yes. yes. And, it, and it doesn't have a there's no person in it. He's not filming himself while he makes it. It's all visual things. Like he'll list out his reasons in front of you. And, um, you know, it, it kind of has this, uh, I don't know, just notes as, as like the aesthetic. Yeah. And he ca he talks about all these interesting topics, like very clickbaitable uh, topics. Oh, yeah. Like, for instance, one of them is called Not Answering the Question, and it has Kellyanne Conway That's on it. That's the first one I watched with him, and that one was amazing. Yes. It's so cool. And there's another one he does with Trump, too, about... Like, like how like all politicians deflect um, arguing over nothing. Yes. That, that one yeah. was really good too. Yes. And he talks about hate speech. He talks about like, circumcision, Islamophobia, oh, yeah. like, um, you know, subliminal messages in Disney movies, anything like, or, or the uh, argument for punching a Nazi. These are all things that he took on. So very interesting topics, very clickable videos. And from my perspective, I thought he had relative success, uh, especially anytime you find a video because of the YouTube algorithm, I almost feel like automatically those people are doing it right. You need YouTube to support you to be successful on the platform. Right. And if you don't have that, then so the fact that most of the time that I watched the counter arguments video, it wasn't because I was seeking them out. It was because it recommended to me, made me believe he had some sort of quantifiable success. But after he made his I'm quitting video and talked about how even though he had sunk so much time into making this a quality thing, releasing things on a schedule, being, you know, trying his hardest at growing counter arguments, he had only 247,000 subscribers, which only that's a that's a lot of subscribers. Yes. But on you know, compared to other YouTubers, that's still like a promising it channel. It was not it was not enough to, for him to make a living off of. Definitely. And it was at this point uh, you know, other YouTube channels have grown much faster, you know, than, than maybe his had, um, you know, two, 270, uh, 247,000. Again, it's a good number, but a lot of YouTubers are aiming for like that one mil, you know, that's when you're like, Oh, I'm actually successful at YouTube now. And it surprised me that he was only at that point because comparing his videos to some of the other creators that I follow that have way more success, the quality level is the exact same. And he kind of talks about that same thing with like it being a little bit of luck where even if you're doing something, you're making all the right choices, doing everything absolutely correct, you might just, it might not work. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of success on YouTube comes from getting attention of, from people that are already successful, right? And then having people shuttle over. And you never really saw that. He really was hit like a circle of one. Yes. You know, he didn't interact with anyone else, uh, which I think is 
you know, part of the part of his problem. But also, yeah, I mean, you make a great point, and I think that's probably this the same story that's true for the majority of people that try to make stuff online. Yes, is that most it doesn't work out. No matter how hard you try and how many times you do the right thing, it just never works. He talked about um, burnout and yes. how at, at a certain point it just it wasn't giving him back the joy that he wanted, it, uh, that he was expecting. Well, he said he was working it. on it every single day too, mm-hmm. you know, like, which I understand when you're trying, when you're passionate about something that's true, but I really do believe that you have to take breaks in order for it to come back to you. Well, you know? yeah, and he also talks about how is a solitary um, hobby or yeah, it was know, just job. him, right? Yes. So he was never talking to people. He was spending all this time alone, and that was isolating for him. Um, but he also talked about how it wasn't – he didn't see it as a waste of time. Even though he was giving up on it now and deciding it wasn't going to be part of his future probably, he looked back at this moment that he was a part of. And he definitely was, especially because I can bring up his name and you, another YouTuber. We've never talked about counterarguments together, but you've heard of him because he did create something that had an impact. And um, he kind of, he talked about something that fascinates me is uh, the moment that we're in is that anybody can create things now. It's not just being part of a network or you know knowing the gatekeeper for television or music or radio. You can now create it for yourself, which is... I think is so cool. It's one of the reasons why I believe I existed at the perfect time. I exist right <laughs> when I am supposed to exist. Too early to explore the universe. Or, no, too early to explore the world. Too late to... No, uh, no I'm still you're, you're, you're close. <laughs> I was born too late to explore the world. Born too early to explore the universe. Born just in time to browse dank memes. To make podcasts. Yeah, and to make <laughs> podcasts. And to make videos and to make music and make to be a, a like quote unquote creative because those the bar the barrier of entry is so low now it's almost non-existent it comes with its own problems of course because now there's unlimited competition but at the same time you can join the competition now you can be a part of it so um he talked about how being a part of that and having the audience that he cultivated was something that he's proud of something he's uh you know will look back on with like gladness that he was able to do and I feel that, you know, I, I feel that same way. I mean, we've been doing this for over two years now, and I don't think that I, we definitely wouldn't still be doing it if we didn't get pleasure, like joy out of the creation aesthetic process. Aesthetic part of it, right? Like the the actual aesthetic making the podcast, having conversations with people, yes, putting together the work and then releasing it, right? Like it's not even, it's not about how much people watch it or listen to it or whatever, right? It's more about having these things documented in a way. And yes, and and I don't know, sinking my time into something that I truly believe in and truly um, enjoy. You know, it's you know, it's like the same thing where uh, going back to rock climbing with uh, free solo. It's like, does climbing a rock wall have any value if no one's watching? Well, to the climber, it does. Yes. So I feel the same thing. Like I, especially with uh, the fact that we talk about movies so much, I has have always been so lazy with the way that I take in visual mediums like that. And having these conversations has taught me how to spend a little more, a little bit more time with them and get way more value out of them. So whether or not anybody listens to me uh, talk about how a movie made me feel and what I thought, I still got to experience that and it makes the experience a lot that much more deeper for me um so following you know counter arguments like train of thought here i 
feel the same way that just being around right now and having the means to participate in this media revolution where suddenly every man uh, or the the every man or there's a common every person every man woman child oh yeah only men <laughs> no but any person can if they want to create something is amazing and i feel like not being a part of that would be something that i would come to regret so um even though i you know i thought about counter arguments i'm like He's way more talented than me. <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever be able to um, create what he's created. And even what he created wasn't good enough. But I still want to press on and be part of this because I still feel the sa- that way that he felt once in that just participating is something you have to do. I have to see what I'm capable of. I have to see um, what comes out of just being a part of this revolution that didn't exist at any other time. Yes, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I like being on this journey with you, especially because you, I mean, you're very organized about this whole thing. You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm really more frazzled and I go kind of in and out of like times of like feeling passionate about it. But having some sort of thing where it's like you're being accountable, it's being saying, oh, I better have watched this movie, and have something to say about it every week or every two weeks is, you know, powerful because suddenly you're doing way more than you did before and you're thinking critically um, and you're spending time with people that are important with you too. Yeah. So uh, all of those things has been very positive and I, that's really all I've ever really wanted out of this was to have some medium so I can talk endlessly about how much I like movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that some people listen to it. Right. And that's what we have. And, um, you know, it, talking just, it feels very meta to talk about the podcast on the podcast, but, um, you know, things, people, the better we get at it, I think it's easier to tell that it's something that people potentially might want to spend their time on. Right. Um, but go, just at the base of it, I don't think it would be something we'd do if we didn't truly enjoy it. And, you know, maybe one day that won't be as important to me and maybe I'll make the same uh, decision, the, the difficult decision that counter arguments had to make to, to stop. But I also look at the skills involved almost like developing skills in magic in like a RPG where it's like, this person is capable of casting this type of magic. Mm. You can't, from the outside looking in, you have no idea how they do it, but it took like rigorous study and leveling up and stuff. <laughs> and that's the way I look at people who create music. That's the way I look at people who create videos, people who just even create uh, competent writing. I look at that as basically like real life's version of magic, where you can do this otherworldly thing that's not obvious, that's not, uh, you know, you, can, you it's not easy to understand after one glance. Um, and it takes them a lot of work to do, and then it, became, it can become this very impressive thing. So for me, I would love for one day to have something important that I need to say and to have the skills to competently get my message across. And then everyone will be like, wow, that was well executed. Yes. Instead of having something to say and be like, crap, I don't know how to record this, you know? Yeah. So even if I don't have that yet, I'm still building those skills so that once I get there, I can flip you that got switch. It. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. I, that's very similar to how I feel. Like I really feel like one of the most important things for me is uh, like people listening to what I have to say. I feel like when I was growing up and stuff, I always felt like I was dismissed a lot. So having some sort of outlet that's like, oh, I can express myself fully is really rewarding for me. And I, I'm very lucky, I guess. Yeah. I have a friend like you. Wow, thanks, Joe. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm lucky to have a friend like you. Oh, great. <laughs> so I, I, you wanna, I have something to transition to. If okay, you yes. Speaking of people of doing something over and over again until you get good at it, speed running. Do you follow speed running at all? 
like uh, the action of playing a video game as quickly as possible. Yes. I don't really follow it. I know what it is. I've kind of gotten more into it a little bit, just like the world that uh, surrounds it. Uh, part of my gateway into that was this YouTube channel called Summoning Salt, who does world record progressions. Um, at first glance, it's very simple, but the videos are awesome. He's like, he's, he's like, kind of has like this monotone voice and he just explains very simply like how the game, like what you need to know, the very ba bare basics of what you need to know about each game and how the, the progression has gone. Like whether the person just executed more and more like the same strategy better and better or if a new strategy evolved um and how that affected how the game was played there's a couple other channels that do similar stuff but summoning salt does it the best and there's all of these really great videos he does about uh or he has clips from these world record progressions uh of people doing it over and over and having these streamers reactions because everyone streams it on twitch now whenever they do it they have all these really great videos uh, to document and some of it's like really low quality stuff uh, but it like it just adds to the aesthetic of like this is historical moment you know of how things are going to go into the future um, and it's it's really cool so I then from there I was started watching AGDQ which is awesome games done quick which is a charity event that uh, this last year was their 10th anniversary oh wow um, and they raised no less than three million dollars over the course of a week uh, which is incredible. Basically, in like small donations, you know, people would call in and be like, you know, or write in like, I'm giving $20 for this stream or whatever. It's basically a, a week-long marathon of people playing, doing speedruns. And the thing about speedruns is that it's very weird because if you're not familiar with it, then you have no idea what you're watching. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just insane. Because um, the way that they do it, it's not necessarily that you're just playing it as quickly as possible. You're exploiting the game to finish it quicker. Yes. And I think the best example of this was they actually moved away a little bit from speedruns in this. There's a couple of different events that were not speedruns necessarily. They were just interesting game mechanics that they wanted to show off. Um, one of them was this guy playing a game called Clone Hero, which is basically a fan-made version of Guitar Hero where they built their own songs and song lists and stuff. And this guy was playing this Guitar Hero game like I've never seen it before, to the point where I lost all context of this game that I'm very familiar with. I played tons and tons of Guitar Hero when I was a kid. Uh -huh. I got up to expert. You know, I, was, I wasn't great, but I could do most of the songs. And this, the, the way he was playing this was like it was something completely out of, like, like an alien was doing it or a robot was doing it. You know, I think I can't, I was going to look up the, the stats, but I think something like uh, Through the Fire and Flames has like 3,000 notes or something. It's a long song. It's one of the hardest songs ever put to Guitar Hero. Uh, the songs he was playing were like 9,000 notes. Like he would hit all five buttons at the same time. They would be like just uh, strings and strings and strings and strings of notes that were like, he's like moving. He has to use both hands in order to do it. It was incredible. What is he strumming with? His elbow? I don't know. I don't know how it worked at all. It was it was so crazy. And I could not look away. I was just captivated by watching him do it. He's like, oh, I'm going to play fire through the fire of the flames last. I'm going to do it one-handed. And like, what does that even mean? And then you, you like one of, the, one of the things about Guitar Hero is that it will tell you the streak number. And he was hitting thousands and thousands of notes in a row that were coming in, you know, in probably maybe nine or ten notes a second. You know, it's just like... It was incredible. And just watching someone who like spent all their time getting to this point and then showing it off in front of a grand stage like this. And you know, uh, 
this this event is probably one of the most popular events on Twitch every year. Uh, they usually have two every year. It gets hundreds of thousands of views at the same time. So, uh, so showing in front of this huge audience is like amazing. Um, and it, it's just uh, the amount of practice that must have went into that is so crazy. Yeah. Man. I mean, imagine if he had sank the same level. I know it's not the same thing, but like, imagine if he had sank the same level into, into playing else. guitar. <laughs> yeah, like into playing an actual guitar. He could probably be a, a shredder. I, I don't know if this goes directly. You know, they definitely I don't, don't think directly, they definitely but correlate. but you know what I'm saying. The same level of effort, the same time into something else. Like, yeah, know, but that's the thing is like, uh, that's the thing that's always turned me off to speed running is that it's very very specific. Like yeah. you get very good at one thing that nobody else really cares about. Sure. Um, Whereas there's like musical instruments is a great example of you can get good at it and then people can appreciate it even if they don't understand perfectly what you're doing. Um, but you can kind of make that argument for anything. Yes. Really. You de- well, as a kid, you look at instruments and you're like, why would anyone get good at this? I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about piano or violin. These are these suck. No, like I don't spend any of my time appreciating these things. You force me to take lessons because you're my parents. Right. <laughs> but you know, and, and I think in a changing media landscape, something like speedrunning, I mean, if you were speedrunning on the NES, nobody was paying attention probably. No. You, if you, even if your friend cared, that might be your maximum audience. But now there is a platform for that. Oh, yeah, and it's huge too. I mean, it's a big deal to get invited to this thing. And some of the, I mean, it's beyond like watching someone do it well. It's the commentary and everything that's built around it that makes it really cool. There was one, I, I think it was called beyond evil or something it's it's like a like a fighting game that it's like set in kind of like a hellish landscape or something they had on the video on the call uh like via like skype or something the developers who made the game oh and they were commenting on it and the guy was was doing it and totally breaking it and they were just like who designed this? Like, <laughs> I can't believe this. It was so, it's so satisfying watching their minds get blown because it, the way I had I saw, saw it described was like someone like who is really good at something will understand it perfectly. A developer will understand a game perfectly from every aspect, right? Yeah. A speedrunner understands it to that degree and then breaks it. You know, <laughs> breaks it right over their knee. You know, wow. appreciates it to a certain to all of its all of its beauty, and then says, "How do I best destroy this thing?" Right. Um, and it's, it's it's it can be beautiful watching it. Um, one of the best ones that came out of it was a thing from Tomato Anus, who had to change his name for AJDQ to Tomato <laughs> Angus. Uh, the G was silent, apparently. Um, <laughs> That's great. He he played four. Uh, he played a bunch of Fallout games. I think it was four or five Fallout games in a row. Um, within like two hours what yes and it was so crazy he had this one part where he was explaining how things went he had a bunch of um a bunch of like uh, cups taped together and he was explaining how he's going to do this one trick and he had done this whole tirade about how it works and everything um and he's like and that's going to save us 40 seconds (laughs) (laughs) it took him four minutes to explain it it's going to take and then he uh there was this thing there's some glitch where you, if you wear a certain type of pants, then you can run faster. Uh-huh. And so if you do it right, uh, you can put on more than one type of these pants at the same time. So to demonstrate that, he had somebody who was helping him comment, uh, uh, put on more pants. So he brought like six pairs of sweatpants. And he's like, oh, and that's, that's another hilarious. pair of pants. And so he puts it on. <laughs> he's like wearing all these pants. It was very entertaining. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's like a, it's a very cool world that I had never been to or seen before. And I've always heard, at least from the people in the community, that speedrunning has always been the most welcoming gaming community, which is something that you don't hear a lot from gaming. Right. Um, is that they're very exclusive and they like don't like when other people kind of barge in. 
No, they they always want more people to play the games. They would always plug their discords and other like forums and say, hey, if you if you think this is cool, come check out our Discord. Uh, you know, we're always open and welcoming new people, and we'll teach you how how it all works. Uh, which is awesome. Did you do that? Is that how you found out about it? No, no, I didn't do that. There's the only thing I would consider speedrunning is Ring Fit Adventure, <laughs> and somebody has done it. Really? It took them 18 hours. Wow, straight. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, they must have been so fit. <laughs> uh, like it's that would uh, I feel like that would give me something aesthetic to work like aesthetically. You know, it's like even if I don't succeed, I would get I would do exercise regularly, which yeah. would be cool but other than that i don't know it's it like the diff the difference between someone starting out and in the in the best in the world or even like third best in the world is such a big difference because I, if you're best in the world people may pay attention to you summoning salt may make a video about you you might get invited to agdq but if you're you know 10th or something and you're busting your ass every day on twitch no one cares right you know and it's just you know, a hundred people might watch you one week. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Unless the thing you're doing blows up and becomes super popular. Right. Um, in which case, you know, you have that chance to, to go into something else. That's what I always witness with. Um, I always talk about him on the podcast, but turn down for Walt, our uh, fraternity brother. He has, he talks about smash brothers in a way that's understandable for like the common man. Yeah. And I love hearing about these personalities, these guys who it's like, yeah, this guy's probably like top 10 in North America. And here's why he's amazing. And you get to dive into why, what makes him unique, um, within like that community. And that's the hope. I think that's part of the luck. You know, you decide that you're going to become amazing at this speed run. And then suddenly maybe it's, you know, even as much as just Twitch starting to exist and people being able to witness your, your things. And it's like, well, now I have something to go on, um, which I think is really cool. Uh, speaking of like it playing video games incorrectly and like breaking the way that they're <laughs> meant to be played, I bought 2K19, which is a basketball video game, about a year ago. It was on sale for three bucks and uh, on the Xbox store. Because it's not longer 2019, is that why? It was because the next one is about to come out, yeah, which still surprised me because if you don't buy them when they're on sale, they'll still sell them for full price, even if they're five well, years old. Well, it's the old. same game, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously <laughs> changes. 2K actually has a difference because they take their story mode very, very seriously. Um, and they create a narrative for you and, and it makes it very immersive. And they, like one year, Jay-Z wrote like all the music for the story mode. Really? And that was the thing. They were always like featuring Jay-Z. Like that's like our big thing this season. And, um, they, cause bouncing the ball. Yeah. <laughs> like they, I'm Jay-Z. It's because basketball culture is very cool. Um, uh, and so they they tried to include that. Anyways, when I logged on to 2K19, I bought it only because it was three bucks. I'm not a big basketball video game guy. So um, they're like, do you want to create your My Player account? Just put your email address right here and get like uh, like activate and then you'll be set. And I'm like, no, I don't want to make a My Player account. I don't care. I'm going to play this very casually, just like I play all sports video games. I'm just going to play on career mode, create my character, and try to become the most epic. I don't need your my player. I don't need emails from you about 2K19, okay? This isn't even the most recent one. So <laughs> I played, uh, so I did a my career, and they're like, my career is um, like a more immersive experience if you create a my player account. And I was like, shut up. I've done this. Madden, the same thing. Create an EA online account, don't care. Uh, same thing with FIFA don't care. I just want to play my game. 
so I got in there, created my character. Um, I created Carlos Benson, power forward for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Classic. Yeah, Carl. Yeah, and um, I played all, basically an entire season of um, 2K, and I played, which is 82 games, and I don't sim. So over the course of a bunch of months, basically since I moved here. I've been playing 2K every once in a while. Sometimes I'll play it while I'm editing. Sometimes I'll play it while I'm listening to a podcast. It's just kind of a mindless, something to do with my hands, you know? So I played 82 games, and I, I thought I, I was so critical of the way they designed this career mode because it was so reduced. You couldn't... Um, you couldn't edit your character's clothing at all, so my guy always just wore shorts and a basketball shirt or a jersey. You couldn't no, make him else. wear a mascot uniform or anything, like a giant head. And no, but you couldn't <laughs> even give him a shooter sleeve or change his shoes. And I was like, okay, that's definitely part of the my player thing. If I want to do that, I have to change my, I have to put my email in and stuff. Right. Um, but even beyond that, like you can't choose like who you are. Like you can choose what college you went to, but you're always just the first round draft pick of that year for whatever team that you join. Oh, really? And you can't, you can pick a number, but if that team already has that number, too bad. You have to pick a different number. And uh, there was, and they you can't ca- fight in the parking lot over numbers or anything. Well, yeah, or in the real NBA, the they actually buy numbers off each oh, other. Oh, really? Yeah, like if a bigger player shows up and his number is more iconic, like he can be like, "I'll give you this much money to buy." It's usually undisclosed, but they. Anyways, Dang. that's getting off topic. Uh, and and they all kept calling me AI. Throughout the entire thing, like commentators are like, oh, there goes AI with another dunk. Like, he's such an AI. And I'm like, why are they calling me that? And I, like, <laughs> anyways, I started, I created my own narrative. And I was like, they're calling me AI uh, because I am, they, they think I'm artificial intelligence. You're a robot. I make such smart moves on the basketball court. They're like, he's just like artificial intelligence. It's frustrating that they call you that because Allen Iverson is one of the best basketball players of all time. They called him AI. So why would you make a basketball video game where they name somebody? It's like, that'd be like calling me Jordan. It's like, don't call me Jordan. I'm playing basketball. Come on. <laughs> call me literally anything else. So anyways, um, I got to the um, finals, the NBA finals, and uh, was about to win it. And I was like, if I'm going to win, I want to look cool. So I'm going to go ahead and create a My Player account oh, so boy. I can give my guy a shooter sleeve. Okay. So I went back to the main menu, created a My I was like, create My Player account, and it kicks off a cutscene right after you get sent the activation email and you create your character in this like amazing cinematic experience where instead of just saying I'm this tall, I'm this position and I want to be good at these like skills. It's like, so AI, AI, tell us about um, like how your game is, you know, and they're interviewing you and taking photos of you. And then you, your first game is in the Chinese league and you're like a reject from the NBA draft. Nobody wanted you. So you go to play ball in, in China and you have to like prove the doubters wrong and work your way up from basically nothing Dang. all the way into the league. <laughs> and I, I realize I'm like, Oh, that's why this game sucks. Because unless you give them your email, they give you the driest, most watered down experience there is. So I wasted hours. Hour, I'm talking about probably like at least a hundred hours of my life. We're sank into like the like free trial version of NBA 2K19 because I was too stingy to give them my stupid oh my email address. So well, I do they email you all the time now? 
No, I mean, I just said no to the emails. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I just didn't want to give away that information, which seemed to me like the smallest decision ever. I had played plenty of other sports video games where I didn't create their online account. Right, they didn't lock you out of half the game. Yes, but this one, absolutely. The, the more I played, the more I realized that this game has so much more to offer than I really? ever expected. It's amazing. It's by far the best like single-player career mode that I've played in any sports video game. Way better than Madden. Oh, Madden's is laughably bad. It is so... It is insultingly bad what they their version of this is. Um, and then FIFA's is good, but um, it, it's just uh, simulation. They don't create a narrative for you. In this one, you get a girlfriend. Your uh, best friend becomes your rival because he doesn't want to help your NBA career out. He's like, what is this, an anime show? <laughs> seriously, though, like you, <laughs> it becomes a huge... There's another guy who's on the, uh, the NBA minor league team with you who he's like... I'm the only one who scores points here. And you're like, no, you have to learn how to be a good teammate. And he's like, ah, I like begrudgingly joins forces with you and stuff. And they split the screen in half, like diagonally. And they, bo- <laughs> they both like come in frame. AI son. Like we have to learn how to. <laughs> Nani? <laughs> Nani? <laughs> it was good. I was blown away by how good this game was. And I can't stop kicking myself <laughs> for spending so much time on it because it is built to be an immersive thing. NBA careers can be up to like 20 years long. And this game is built to satisfy you really? for that kind of long haul. There's all these things you can unlock, endorsement deals you can unlock. Like you can, your character that you create, like has, like he'll show up at a car dealership and promote it, you know, at whatever city he's in. Can you in. kneel during the national anthem? You can't, but you can do expressions. That's another thing. You can slam dunk and do like a custom, like, dance move after not an option unless you give them your email address custom dance move wow yeah like well maybe well, custom, like, like you choose a, a celebration do you send a, a video of yourself doing a dance move and then they'll move no it into but the you can game? you can do this thing where you take pictures of your head and your character looks like you no in the game yes <laughs> unfortunately they don't keep that updated once they're on like they have an app for 2k um and right now it's the 2k 20 app they don't support 2k 19 stuff anymore so i, I couldn't do that but it was an option it was a part of the game you paste your pictures of your face on that guy's face yes that's amazing. It, yeah i mean <laughs> it's <laughs> that's not unique to them ea has that as well where you can but you put also your face like in the game. <laughs> will make you look like you're older as the years go on like when you, you look at gray. your guy yeah you're like you're like that's what i'm gonna look like when i'm older you know it's like looking into the future oh man i'm sure you know what i wouldn't even be surprised if that was a portion of this game because it actually is so immersive it's so deep and it just frustrates me to no end every time a new feature gets unlocked for me and You're they're like, like ah like you can go because you could choose to change your haircut which is just a menu thing it's like i want to go with afro now instead of like the buzz cut and in the game you go to the barber and you're like hey what's up dude he's like hey you're one of the ballers like i'll cut your hair for free and he's like "Ooh, you're gonna like this one like after you like choose a different haircut but in the version i played for so long it was just click save get back to playing basketball like it's like when you have a big game you get interviewed by the commentators like 2k has spent so much time recording um shaquille o'neal and the other like 2k analysts to talk about whatever game's going on so you have a big game and Shaq is like oh man you were really cooking up some barbecue chicken on the paint tonight you know like and and your character you get to decide to say something that's more um like that'll get fans to like you more or something that will get your teammates to like you more Mm. and update your teammate synergy there's all these features and stuff and i'm still learning them because i spent so much time playing the watered down pointless version 
when I could have well, been playing. Well, think about this way. Now you got kind of two games out of it. I did. I just look at all that time as wasted time. Already playing simulation video games is wasted time. Um, it's this, like, I could be going outside and practicing basketball and getting good at that and at least be able to do something with other people. But when I simulate a whole 82 season game or 82 game season of 2K, I'm doing that for me only and no one else really cares. I mean, the fact that I may be able to talk about it here on the podcast is probably the most it'll ever get right. paid attention to ever. The most it pays off at all. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's like already it's frustrating how much time I'm wasting, but I wasn't even doing like the best version of wasting time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Why don't you have like a uh, fake email that you give to like corporations? It wasn't even that far where I was like, oh, now they're going to spam me with emails. It was literally just, I don't want to. Don't make me give me, give me the game I paid for. Because now I still, I mean, basically what the online account is for is for the in-game currency so that you can't exploit the system and, you know, do some sort of hack that gives you more money, you know? Why? Um, because you have, they have, you have an unique email or something? No, it's just that you have to be connected to the internet to play. Oh. So I already have an Xbox Live account. I'm connected to the internet. I still don't feel like it should be that necessary, but that's their justification. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to show how, like, express how stupid I felt for not doing that and basically playing like a quarter of the actual video game that I paid three bucks for. Want to hear something that I kind of waste my time on? Yes. So I got this book for Christmas. It's oh, called, you're holding it right here in the studio. I am. You can you can hear it. It's some Foley work. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, very nice? nice. Yeah. Okay. It's called How to Invent Everything. Subtitle is A Survival Guide for the Stranded Time Traveler. It's by Ryan North. It's exactly what it sounds like. So have you ever <laughs> you ever had that you ever see that thing on like on Reddit or like you have that icebreaker question? It's like, if you could go back in time what time period would you go back to? Yeah. And then the kind of follow-up question is like, how useful could you actually be in like Greek times or like in Roman times, right? Like, would you understand the culture enough or the to like survive? Yeah. Or like, if could you, if you, the idea would be to introduce something from the future to them so that they could benefit from it, right? And like, do you know how anything works? Whatever. Well, the answer to all your questions are right, is right here in this book. <laughs> Um, the, the, the premise of the book is that you are in a time traveling machine. This is a repair guide for your time traveling machine. Okay. But the repair guide says simply, there are no user serviceable parts inside the FC 3000. The FC 3000 cannot be repaired. That's all it says. <laughs> and then the rest of the book is how to rebuild civilization from the ground up. Wow. So it's, I'm surprised it's not longer. It's actually very simple. And I'll talk a little bit about what's in there, but sometimes I find myself like while I'm reading this and then afterwards thinking about it, thinking about like, yeah, how would I rebuild civilization from the ground up? And I'm like, why am I thinking about this? This is such a waste of time. Like I can't be wasting precious moments in my life thinking about how I would rebuild civilization from the, like from the past. Maybe that's an interesting thought experiment, <laughs> but like I'm never, it's never going to happen. It's never going to apply. But yeah. like this, this book keeps, keeps pushing that idea so much that I keep ending up thinking that. And I'm like, yeah, like if I could do it, that'd be different this way. And I'm like, that's a waste of time. All these what about all these what ifs. Well, now I'm interested. Tell me a little, how would you do it? So, the, so the print, the big theme in this book is that humans are actually really bad at everything. And we have taken, and the innovation is way more of the exception than the rule. Okay. And there are so many examples. I mean, this book is 
chock full from, I mean, it's entirely, the entire thickness of it is filled with examples of how we could have had something nice and then we ruined it. Or how we could have had something nice, but we took us a really long time to figure it out. And for no reason. We've had the prerequisites for these inventions for literally thousands and thousands of years. And we just didn't put it together. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of really good examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hold on. Let me find it. Go ahead. Page 235. Uh, incubators. So this is in a section called Common Human Complaints and How to Solve Them. And this uh, <laughs> subsection is called I Want to Have Cool Sex. I would like to have some cool sex. And it's all about birth control. So one of them is about incubators, which is basically a warm box you put babies born too early in that reduces the chances of dying by almost one third. Okay. Uh, originally invented in 2000 BCE for chickens um, and then invented in 1857 uh, CE for humans. Oh, my god! So it took us about 3,000 years to figure out that this, could, this thing <laughs> we were using for chickens also works for humans. And he has this really awesome quote. He says, if you consider the goal of healthcare to be giving another person more years of life than they'd otherwise have, then just helping premature babies survive in, is the most effective and efficient healthcare you can provide. You won't be giving an adult a few more years. You'll be giving a newborn baby the entire life. And all you need is a small bed nestled in a warm box. So it's like this monumental shift in healthcare that saves <laughs> babies by one third, it reduces like infant mortality and we didn't come up with it until 1857 it's insane we should have consulted the babies they were probably, probably would have said or something the chickens really yeah <laughs> the, it's it's insane there's the i mean it's just filled with all these really great examples. i want to hear another one what else okay, you got? I got one for uh uh this is back at for harnesses on 128 um okay so we basically had two types of harnesses for a really long time uh one of them choked horses uh, we invented that back in 3000 BCE, and then in 400 CE, we came up with the collar harness, harness, which is basically way more efficient and allows uh, horses to like move freely without like getting choked by the way the harness worked. Um, and yeah, it just take, it took us a very long time to come up with. Uh, and it's basically the differences that you uh, like where you're holding the harness. I can show you a picture of it. Like one is like around the horse's uh, like middle and in its neck. Yeah. The other one is like kind of like lower down and it's not directly pulling on the horse. It's pulling on or its neck is pulling on its shoulders. So it, it's like a very simple thing. You know, it's a, like simply rethinking this kind of thing. And it makes me think about my job a lot because I'm an engineer and I have to come up with sol like solutions to problems. Yeah. And uh, it makes me like a little less frustrated because a lot of times it's like, why are we doing it this way? We've been doing it for a long time this way, and it doesn't work that great. Like, why don't we just do this instead? Why don't we change the way we're doing things? Oftentimes, it's not quite that simple, but it makes you realize that innovation is really, like, has come a, kind of a long way in a very short amount of time. It's only recently that we started applying certain, like, logical, like, th things together and making connections that we could have made thousands of years ago um, and basically changed the way we make things forever. Um yeah, it's it's fascinating. And it is funny, too. It's written by Ryan North, who does these comics called uh, Dinosaur Comics, uh, which... Uh, have you ever heard, read Dinosaur Comics? Uh, maybe. Are dinosaurs the characters? Yeah. Um, it's a little hard. So <laughs> it's not hard to describe. It's basically the same five-panel thing every single day. Um, it's And he didn't even draw it originally. I don't know where he got it from, but it, I think he has a permission. But he, he never actually drew any of the comics. Oh, All he wow. does is um, 
provide text. It's the same. It's literally the same five panels every day. And wow. it's like two, two or three dinosaurs talking to each other. And he has like different characters and dinosaurs expand on different pieces of philosophy and other things and to have interesting observations. And it's basically just a couple of people having a conversation uh, framed with like the dinosaurs. And then there's always some kind of funny bit in it as well, as well as like continuing storylines for days and days and days and days. Um, and he's been doing this for a really long time and been very successful. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a little dry as like a book that really does. It, it literally reads as if you had to restart civilization. Like it's, it's, really sticking to the bit to the point where you get kind of convinced that maybe this is something you can do. Um, but it's more than just like that because it's, it's teaching you a lot about like how humans evolved and how different like things work. Um, and most of the, the, like he goes, he says there's some things that are too complicated. Doesn't, he doesn't explain quantum mechanics at all. Barely explains how computers work. Although I think there's a little, a section later that I haven't gotten to that he gets to. It says flight is too ex- too complicated to explain fully, but there's a, tons of other things where he's like, it's just this and this. That's all you have to do. And there you go. You've solved this problem that we've had for such a long time and nobody ever thought to do it this way. Okay, so basically you show up in any point in history with this book and then suddenly you advance everything much faster. Right, so it's, it literally starts with the invention of language. Um, there's actually a flow chart in here to determine uh, what time period you're in based on like the stars and like what's happening around you ah. and like the different types of uh, like plants and stuff. You'll be able to figure out what time period you're in and kind of guess of like what he, where humans are. Nice. Um, so if you're in within a certain like section uh, of time, then you're good because humans haven't evolved that much in the last hundred thousand years or so, um, like like uh, physically. Yeah. So. Uh, you're basically interacting with modern day humans without any technology. Um, and then you have to invent language and then you have to invent farming and like how everything works together. Um, and like a society built around that. Is there anything in there about creating a voting app? Could you time travel back a few, <laughs> few months and maybe save Iowa? I have not gotten that far. <laughs> um, it, it really is like the most basic stuff, you know, like yeah. spinning wheels and like how to domesticate animals and all that kind of stuff, which I mean, it's just really interesting that it, some of this stuff has just been so simple and it was just trial and error for such a long time before we really figured it out. And of course, like while I'm reading this, I'm like, uh, like I would die of disease immediately. Like, you know, I, I would, I wouldn't be able to create pen- penicillin fast enough and then I would die. It's, it's like, why do you think that it's, it's for entertainment. Like it's just like a thing. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting trapped in my own little mind. I don't know. I feel like the, they would need to take, you know, cover that in this book. It sounds like an actual, they do. I mean, they have penicillin and stuff and they talk about, really? talks about how to test new foods. It's like first, like touch it for, and then wait 15 minutes. Then, place it in your tongue or like rub it on your face or something and then wait 15 minutes <laughs> and then like, you know, place it in your tongue and then wait 15 minutes, then swallow it and then wait 15 minutes. And then like he said, every time you need to test a new food is going to take you about eight hours. Wow. Uh, but then, but then you'll know because it will have <laughs> tested all these different iterations of it. Right. Yeah. And there's like all these great tips, like just boil everything. It kills like 99% of the stuff and just boil it and you'll be fine. Um, and he tells you like where approximately in the globe, certain types of like, uh, certain types of plants and animals are located and what to do if you're in those areas and stuff. So it's, it's so funny. That's such an interesting book. It is interesting. So if you ever get asked the question, if you, if you would go back in time, uh, and you know, what time period would go and what would you bring with you? Just say, 
one copy of how to invent everything by ryan north and you've got yourself covered you can go anytime you want yeah exactly. i mean my answer to that is always i wouldn't i would stay here because <laughs> things are only things are as good as they've been right now and hopefully they'll only get better oh yeah things definitely were worse in the past but it's uh, it's certainly fun to think about especially like the it's fun to think about how much you could affect the world with something so simple as like an incubator and something and also it's fun to think about how you convince people that you're not a, a wizard, you know, <laughs> like, and you should be killed. Right. He doesn't go into like how he does a little bit about logic, which is he uses as like an idea of technology, but he doesn't really talk about how you go about the monumental task of convincing people that you should be listened to. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if you can't speak the language. It's That'd right. It'd be really tough but to get these ideas across. He talks about like, he says like, if like ideally what you should do is teach them a language other than English. That way they can't read this book. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's a good. <laughs> but like all these uh, things about how you would structure it or what you would do to like safeguard things and like systems you would put in place to make sure that they last through generations. You know, how do you teach people how to like, how to do something and then not forget it. Right. And like, how could you make paper and then try to save like books and stuff to have things replicated? Uh, like a lot of that stuff is like pretty simple to make, like very basic materials. Um, and you can, you can make it pretty far. Some of the more complicated stuff, like how to build a blast furnace for like smelting iron and stuff. It's, mm. it's, it's really not that far away from what you have. It's like finding, mining that stuff out, finding it, and then, you know, knowing what to do with it basically. So. Hey. That's an interesting one. <laughs> it's really interesting. I so I've I've gotten to the point where it's like he's talking about chemistry, he's talking about different things. There is a point where he says, "Oh, um, there's a periodic table in the back for your reference. The last it is the most updated version uh, from the last time it was updated in 2041." <laughs> oh, so I don't know that much about the periodic table, so I can't tell which ones of these are fake. But it's really hard to tell which ones of these are fake. I think he made well, entire- already because the, the, some of the ones on there look fake. There's like ooh you do do yum yeah. or something like just Hoggy- like of- hagium. Is that a w- real one? There's one that's like uh, all U's and O's or like yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have any of those on there because I think those ones are temporary because yeah, they're synthetic yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. All of these ones have two letters. So yeah, I don't actually know which ones of these are real or not, but it is funny to think about. It is a book from the future. <laughs> right, I know. Oh, okay, so that's the, uh, that makes sense because otherwise how would they talk about fixing your time machine if the book itself wasn't from the future? The, the girl in the front cover is holding a copy of the book, by the way. Um, <laughs> is and, she on that book? Yes, she is. And there's a book that's, that she's holding in there too. <laughs> if I was, I was thinking about this earlier today, like if someone approached me and said, I want like... I'll let you make a movie or something. This would be a great candidate oh, to okay. make a movie that was basically like a kind of um, uh, training video, like the Krusty Krab training video where like teaching SpongeBob how it works, like kind of like that with like a weird voiceover and yeah. somebody's like going, tripping through time, trying to invent new things and using this as a reference and like having it as like the overall narrator that tells you like what you need to do next. Right, right. And then like in the sequel, of course, the book is destroyed and you have to work it out by yourself or something. Like <laughs> anyway, we'll get it. We'll That's really that cool. I like that. I like that. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to take... Uh, the Krusty Krab training video and use that as a uh, transition into something I want to talk about because I've been doing some training of my own recently. Oh, yeah. Yes. I recently got... Um, uh, I, I started training in kickboxing at a local gym. And this isn't just like a kickboxing class like at a gym where somebody... Like, we're all going to kick now. We're all going to punch now. It's actually like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. Oh, really? That's taught by a practitioner who is an actual fighter. 
And the best way that I can conceptualize this whole thing, I've only been going for a little while, but it's been fascinating me since I've been there. But the way that I can conceptualize this is his gym is structured a lot like a Pokemon trainer gym <laughs> where, <laughs> trust me, like the person who formed the gym is a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. And he's fought people for real on like, not UFC, but like similar types of organizations right, right, right. that organize like high level like fighting championships. Yes. Um, well, like originally when I went in there, I was just like, what is this? This is a weird place. Like they, you have to wear the, um, the symbol of the gym oh, on really? your clothing to, to train there. So everyone's all wearing matching stuff. And, uh, you know, it, they all, you have to like bow before you enter the mat. You know, there's all these, uh, you know. Ritualistic. Yes. Yeah. Respect and all this stuff, which I understood went with the discipline of fighting. Um, but there's specific ones that are, you know, for this gym. Um, like you say, oos, uh, whenever you uh, bow. Yeah. And um, it's kind of like a affirmation. You know, it's, you kind of like someone says something and you're like, oos, you know, as a response. <laughs> like, all right, guys, let's start training, you know. Oos. And uh, yeah. And. Uh, there's all these people who uh, have trained there long enough where now they can begin teaching other people. And everybody there is a student of this one guy at the top. Uh, his name is Gibson Saw. And I met him when he was first there. He taught the class. Um, and I was just like, this guy just really knows his stuff. But then I, after a few classes, I was like, wait a minute. There's definitely got to be videos of this guy fighting people online. I bet I could see some of the stuff that he's done. And I went on a deep dive and saw amazing fights that this guy has been a part of that he won you oh, know yeah? like there was this one because he's a brazilian jiu-jitsu um uh practitioner but obviously to fight mma you have to know multiple styles of fighting um but that's his specialty and i watched him fight um this other guy who's known as the silverback um yeah fighters have nicknames so what's his, his nickname his nickname is the spartan Ooh. And his gym is called the Spartan Academy. You know, he's teaching everyone else to be Spartans. He has like a Spartan helmet and a shield on the wall and all these like things written about the, like 300 and stuff. And uh, like th this fight that I watched, the silverback is like much like heavier and kind of like uh, it, like just beefier looking than Gibson or than, than the Spartan. But uh, they're boxing each other, they're standing up and punching each other. And the silverback lands a actually pretty massive hit on the Spartan's face, and he starts bleeding out of his nose. Uh, and there's kind of this moment where he's like, all right, this fight is not going my way. Time to, like, take action. And he dives at his legs and takes him to the ground. And that's where jujitsu comes in. Like, jujitsu is all about choking out your opponent and forcing them into submission. Um, and he and you can hear people like, oh, my gosh, like, here it goes. Like, get him, Gibson. And he is able to, like, basically choke this guy out this guy who was just wailing on him he's able to get him into a, a position where he can't escape and then he taps out uh and then you see the mutual respect between him and this other guy after where they like shake hands you like you fought well you know like the the honor in it and then they raise his hand and this was so inspirational to me as somebody who had been to a few classes and i'm like you know i'm learning how to punch i'm learning how to step and trying to figure this stuff out and then you see it's like this is exactly why this guy's teaching this class you know, it's not just that he's in great shape. It's not just that he knows how to do it. It's that he's gone out there and proven it in front of crowds of people, um, which brings me back to the Pokemon trainer thing, where it really does feel like the person who's the best at the thing, uh, you know, it, it might it might be electric type in Pokemon, but in this one, it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu because he's, <laughs> he's from Brazil. Uh, he gets to be in charge of the gym um, because he's that guy. He's the highest level at 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's funny. It's been amazing. And he has a bunch of pets that carry him around, and you have to fight him in order to level up. Is that what you're saying? I, well, that's the thing. He's training us, so I, I, didn't, I haven't fought anybody. I don't actually plan well, on Well, eventually some anybody. kid in like a, a red hat is going to show up, and he's going to mow through all of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that might be Conor McGregor or somebody like that, but <laughs> I... Uh, I I don't know, it, it just really changed the dynamic of it once I realized who exactly was teaching this class. Um, you know, you, you kind of have that um, with anybody. Like, you show up to a college class, it's like, what makes this guy qualified to tell me how it is, sure. you know? Um, but there's no nothing more obvious than being able to look at his track record. Like, he has banners hanging up all over the gym of th- uh, competitions that he's won or that his students have won. Um, and I, I don't know, it's just something about that that proof that um, is really inspiring to me. So when he's yelling, hey, don't stop jump roping at me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to push harder so I can become, um, you know, and this is similar because is Pokemon an anime? Does that count as anime? Sure. Well, My Hero Academia is definitely an anime, and they always talk about, like, it has such uplifting messages in this anime where they're like, I'm going to train harder than everyone else, and then I'll be the number one hero. And I feel like, like the Spartan is a, like, pro hero and he's teaching people how to do it but if like shit went down he could hand out some punishment Um, and i and i i'm not that i'm like pro violence or anything but i think that that level of um ability at something is really impressive and it makes i definitely want to learn as much as i can from him not just about fighting but also about life and discipline sure um so that's awesome it's really cool i've i've really enjoyed adding this when i first went i was like there's no way i'm gonna actually join this class they have free classes so i went to a free class i was like there's no way i'm actually gonna commit to this but then after doing it i was like where do i buy my gloves because i want to start kickboxing cool and i haven't even talked at all about what the actual class is it's just like very there's a lot of fitness in it and learning how to punch and i have found i am way less coordinated than i gave myself credit for i am pretty i feel so stupid they're like just do this and then i'm trying to do it it's like no <laughs> <laughs> uh but you know that's part of it too is humbling yourself right, getting and, that form down and everything yeah right? and learning and uh so what like what does it all entail so are you, are you do you have to train outside of the gym too um well yes like for fitness stuff that he recommends but the classes themselves are mostly a combination of fitness and uh practicing so like a um, technique yes so we do we punch the pads like you you partner up and then one person holds the pads the other person has gloves on and you punch their pads and he teaches you combos and then sometimes we're on the punching bags uh like practicing combos and stuff and still I, i don't think i'm really qualified to really talk about any like why or how it's helping us i just do it Um, one of the things we did was we were wailing on the bags for three minutes and then for one minute you wrap your legs around the like you lay down wrap your legs around the bags and do sit-ups using the bag as a counterweight and you punch the bag as you get to the top so you're like one down up two you know punching it and Oh my gosh, it was horrible. It was, it was, it, <laughs> well, it sounds like so a good bad. workout. It's sure. an amazing workout. Really, that was what convinced me was after doing a couple of classes, I was like, this, is, I'm working so much harder here than I am on my own at the gym yeah. that I would rather do this. I would rather do this less a week than what I do currently to go to the gym almost every day because this is just way better. I'm going to see results faster and just, you know, there's, Getting a good sweat in will turn your whole day around. Oh, yeah. And definitely. I really enjoy that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting in areas that I didn't know that I could hurt in. <laughs> um, as you've seen, I'm, I feel like I'm an old man right now because my back really hurts because there's muscles in your back that you use um, 
for punching that I didn't even know about. Because pu- like punching is not in your arms. If you're punching with your arms, you're doing it wrong, um, which sounds stupid. But you have to generate the power using your whole body. Right. And because I don't know how to do that yet or I don't know how to do it effectively, I wear myself out so quickly. I've been telling people uh, at, punch, at kickboxing class, I punched so many times, I, th- I almost threw up. Because <laughs> I, I really did. And, like I was really, I kept going and I overheated and I, I felt like I, was, I, was, I felt queasy. But, um, yeah, there's just so much you have to learn um, about like, how to use your body and how to generate that power. At what point will you have to fight somebody? Well, there is sparring. Um, but as far as joining like an official competition, I don't know anything about that. My mindset is I don't want to. So do you spar now? I have sparred with some of my other newbie classmates where we didn't... Well, actually, we did one where two of the more experienced students, um, what they did was they, they put a timer for six minutes, and it was the that student who knew something against me and two other brand new students. And every minute, we one of us would cycle in. So, so we would be in there working hard. And after a minute, I'm soaked and I'm like tired. And this other student who knows better what they're doing has to stay and continue to fight other people. And we were actually punching each other um but not to the point where anybody was actually going to get hurt right right but um yeah it's terrifying um i didn't love it and what i'm really worried about is my my um my health it's not that i mean i guess i am sort of afraid to get punched but also (laughs) i don't want to get brain damage from getting smacked yeah uh, in the head by somebody who really knows how to throw a punch so that's my main uh reason for not wanting to fight but as far as like the training and get, like working hard to get better, all that stuff is so attractive to me, and I I'm excited to see where I can go with this. Yeah, I I don't know. That's kind of stuff always seemed interesting to me. Um, I know there's like a, a kickboxing club or gym or something pretty close to where I am, and I've I've always kind of I've been interested in it, but never brave enough to go over there. I wouldn't have been brave enough if I didn't know people that already went there. I got invited to go, and um, I've always been into like fitness that pushes me beyond my limits um ever since my days of being in middle school and going to high school soccer conditioning with my brother i see where i was not in shape enough to do the things that they were doing but i just had my mom was like you have to be out there anyways so um like i remember there was this one drill we did where we had to carry you had to pair up and carry someone across the length of a soccer field and when you get to the other side you jump off and they'd carry you back and purposely the tallest guy out there paired up with me so he would throw me on his back and sprint across the field I'm, I'm holding on to his head trying not to fall off and then he like would drop me and then i would run back and he wouldn't even climb on me he would just put his hands on my shoulders and push me towards the ground <laughs> and i'm just struggling underneath him just oh pushing me trying to get back um but you know that's always how you improve is by like it's by carrying heavier people. Well, by pushing yourself past where you're comfortable. And when I'm in the gym, yeah, I like to say I work hard, but I'm not working nearly as hard as I would if someone was really right there pushing you. Yeah. Well, and others also working hard to match the effort levels of other people. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. Something that I'm it's still very new, still very novel, um, and I'm excited to try to get better at it. Yeah. That's cool. I hope you stick with it. Yeah. I want to hear more kickboxing stories. I want to hear you fight somebody and win. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Like I said, I really don't want to have to <laughs> get hurt, but um, yeah, it, it, it's pretty fun. But all right. So I think we're nearing the end of two hours here. So oh my God, it's been two of, hours. We've got plenty of content. <laughs> um, and the best thing about Offscript is we don't have to actually do an outro of any sort. So I just want to say thank you for being on the podcast. Well, this thank you for having me. Kind of feels unnatural because you're on the podcast anyways. You're, right? I mean, you're doing more than letting me be on the podcast. You're, you're 
letting me stay here. So that's true. Um, but yeah, I do have to sleep under the podcast table though. You that's know? Yeah, that's and right. I have my voice recorded in my sleep and everything. Oh well, yeah, and there's no pillows here. You actually sleep on top of foam core, right? Uh, <laughs> and you just have like a bundle of uh, you know XLR cables instead of a blanket. That's right. So um, you know, I hope you continue to enjoy that. But this podcast is over. So bye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to Affable Chat. If you want to hear your voice on the podcast, you can call our phone number, 833-600-2428. That's 833-600-CHAT. Call us up anytime, leave us a voicemail, and you will hear your voice on a future episode of the podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever that is, please leave us a review that really helps us to expand our audience. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at affablechat on both, or send us an email affablechat at gmail.com. Check us out on YouTube. Just search Affable Chat. And that's going to do it for this episode of Off Script. It was really special to be uh, together with Joey in person for the first time in podcast history. And hopefully uh, we'll be doing that kind of thing together again very soon. But that's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>